Hey everybody, it's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. How are you? It is Friday, July 24th, 2020. This is episode number 626 of the podcast. And boy, am I excited about this episode. We have on the amazing and most lovely Ileana Douglas. She is a multi-hyphenate of the First Order. She is, of course, an actor. Been in countless, countless memorable films. I guess most people would immediately go to Cape Fear, where Robert De Niro bites her cheek off, essentially, right? That's a very memorable role. But, you know, she was around before that. She worked with Martin Scorsese many times, including at roles in uh, New York Stories, Goodfellas, and the Cape Fear. But she also has acted in... Uh, so many wonderful films over the years. I mean, uh, Gus Van Sant's To Die For, for instance, most most maybe also very memorably, where she played Janice, the sister to, to Matt Dillon's character, and I, I thought she was just incredible. I think that might have been my introduction to Liana. I mean, I'd seen Cape Fear, but I, I just was blown away by her in um, To Die For. And then again, years later, I was swept away when I saw her in Alison Anders' film, Grace of My Heart, where she plays Denise Waverly, a.k.a. Edna Buxton, the heiress. And um, she was really just so incredible in that. But, you know, you can go and find countless movies she's done right up to date and uh, episodics. But she's also had created, some years ago, maybe the first web series, or at least one of the very first. And it was also... I don't know if you're familiar with this collaboration she did with Ikea, but she did this series called Easy to Assemble, which ran for a couple of years. And it was a um, very, very, uh, uh, very, very new concept where she pitched doing a, in, like, like in the store while it was open to the public. It, the one in um, Burbank, I believe, in California. They would shoot this series about, where she's essentially playing a variation of herself as an out-of-work actor who gets a job at, I, at Ikea. But it, and, they, and she had all of her, these celebrity friends come in and, uh, again, play variations of themselves. Some, some of the uh, some actors would play actual roles, but uh, you can check it out. It's, it's all on YouTube. Um, in the meantime, Ileana, who is granddaughter to Melvin Douglas, has developed into a first-class film historian just through the, her, sheer, her sheer curiosity and enthusiasm. She is uh, really quite knowledgeable um, in terms of the history of, of film in the United States. And a couple of things. She wrote a book some years ago called I Blame Dennis Hopper, which if you like reading film books uh, or just solidly written uh, memoirs, you'll, you, you should pick it up. It is a really well-written, entertaining book. And um, I loved it. It gave me real insight to this woman. 
so she she did that and then she as a result of that she started a podcast a few years back called i blame dennis hopper that podcast evolved into what is now the film scene with Ileana douglas which she uh does on Popcorn Talk, a network of uh, podcasts centering on the subject of film. They're on YouTube as well because they shoot them. And she is uh, joined by her co-host, producer Jeff Graham, who I want to send a shout out to for helping me coordinate this with Ileana, this uh, podcast that of mine, which you're about to hear. Now, also I want to mention, as a result of us doing this over Zoom, I have permission to put this up on Filmwax Radio's YouTube channel. So if you'd rather watch this interview, you can. Um, it'll be up on YouTube over the next couple of days. But right now, we're putting out the audio version of this podcast, uh, which is what you're going to hear. So I mentioned she's got the book, she's got the podcast, she's got the film career. She's uh, just an amazing person. She's delightful. I really uh, enjoyed meeting her and talking to her, which uh, I think you'll you'll see or hear. Uh, she was in uh, the last season of Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton, and I thought she was really funny and terrific in that as well. And I'm hoping she'll be, I assume they're going to do another season at some point. Maybe they already have. I don't know. If they haven't, then it's going to be a while before they do under the circumstances. Anyway, she's uh, terrific and full of anecdotes. I, I clearly... We have barely scraped the surface here. Uh, I, I got to have Ileana back on the show because she knows everybody, and she she's a re she she I mean everybody from I mean she has anecdotes about Marlon Brando, Roddy McDowell. I mean um, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, every she just knows everybody, and and part of that is because she's just happens to be in the you know in that vortex, but also because she is such a a great person. Uh, people like her. And they open up to her. And that's what she did with me, and I appreciate it. So here it is. Let's get into it. My conversation with uh, actor, author, podcaster, etc. Ileana Douglas here on Film Wax Radio. Can you hear me? I can. The uh, it's so funny. This is wait. I gotta get my doggy. This oh, is normally. I, this is Chauncey's. Um, I can't oh, wait. See. I'm you can't. Video. Yeah. Let me. Oh, here it is. Here it is. I gotta do it. So oh, there you are. <laughs> oh no. Well, oh. this is. It's funny. This is normally his walk. To, you know, because I'm working at home and writing. 
Yeah. This is usually when he comes in and reminds me it's time to quit. So he what's, thinks it's very strange. What's his name? This is Chauncey. Chauncey. As Chauncey. I, I, I think I know where he got his name. Yes, Chauncey Gardner. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> Chauncey. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, we'll get to that, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yes, I heard Chauncey during your, your just, I, how do you say, can't say recent, it was minutes ago, your interview with Amanda uh, Ladd. Yes. Oh, thanks for listening. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Um, yeah, we're here at home, and we have the yeah. You uh, can't stop the dogs. No, it's 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 just a part of this phenomenon where we learn more about uh, people than we could have ever before if you were in a, the studio, right? Well, I would not have known about that beautiful dog. Yes, I uh, early on in the COVID, I actually pitched a project. So it was, I had that experience. It was uh, in both good and bad, um, but I had rapt attention, but there was like 20 people on this. I mean, there was, there was a lot of people. Right. Um, but I, strangely, I felt actually more comfortable because I, I was in my house. So I didn't have to, to me, the most stressful part of any kind of audition or pitch is to the drive there and, you what know. to think. Yeah. Yeah. And how I can, you know, how, you know, they say, they come and say they're running behind and you don't really think they are. It's just to, it's, it's just to intimidate you. Oh, <laughs> and why? Yeah. Although I'm sure you've had those exceptions where they tried, they honor you as a, as a craftsperson, as an actor, and, and actually tried to really make your experience a positive as, as positive as possible. And you're like, What's wrong with these people? You know, what's wrong with the situation? It, you know, we just—I I, I just hear so many stories like you're describing where uh, actors are uh, are—I uh, don't know—treated, but experience things like that. You know, and it's so it seems so unnecessary. Don't you want somebody to do their best? Now I've had—you know—I mean, I've been doing this so long. I remember back, you know, when I was first doing auditions. So we're going back to the mid to, no, the late 80s, the late 80s when I got out of acting school. And, he, and you would go, you know, you used to have to audition to get an agent and you'd go in and do a couple monologues. Sure. And I remember. David, doing, uh, <laughs> or, go ahead, I'm sorry. But I, I no, I remember, you know, just them getting up in the middle of the model, just leaving. Come back, you know, answering the phone call, and I said, uh, you know, just continue, just hold on one minute. You know, you're in the middle of doing an emotional monologue, which you've spent, you know, countless hours preparing for or psyching yourself into, etc. Of course, yes, you know, it's in a story that's that I did not put in my book because it'll be but, in the other books. But when I was on the set of one of my grandfather's movies called Ghost Story. Sure, I remember it. And he very much wanted me to go to Juilliard. And so when I got to the set, uh, and John Houseman, you know, legendary running the theater department at, at Juilliard, was in the film with him. And he said, I've arranged for you to audition for John Houseman in his trailer. And... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and oh if, if he thinks you have any talent, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll I'll pay for you to go to Juilliard. If you so. had your own little paper chase uh, moment, or you would have. Horrifying. So I had to quickly scramble and uh, give, pull together two uh, monologues for John Houseman. So not only do you have the, uh, the, the pressure of performing well and auditioning well, but also your choice. Like, you know, you don't, you got to choose the exact, it's all about the choice of which monologues you're going to do because you don't, you want to stand out. So you're not going to go to the typical Laura in uh, Glass Menagerie, or I'm just, I pulled that one out. I'm yeah. not even sure I got the name right. Or, uh, you know, Cat on a Hatton Root. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of like. Well, I, in my day, again, I, I was, because there was no internet, you could do a monologue and not, you know, there was books of monologues. Sure. You had no idea if it was age appropriate or not. I just, you know, would look at things. Yeah. That I liked. I remember again, it just shows my state of mind when I was in high school, but I pulled together a monologue from the bell jar. So that was, that was, that was my, that's, and I did, and again, God knows why, but I think I was part of a local theater group or something, but I had a monologue from Antigone, again, wildly probably wrong for that too, but that's what I, that's well, what I picked. Well, I should just for house housekeeping purposes uh, say, well, thank you. Hello, Ileana. And I'm thrilled to finally come face to face with you for <laughs> this version of it. And, um, you know, uh, Sydney Stern, which was one of the reasons we met uh, with, through that your recent guest, Sydney Stern, uh, and she passes along a hello to you. Um, she had such a positive experience on the show. Yeah, it was great. I loved the book, too. We had some good stories. Um, I, I like to have authors on, you know. Well, you know, I know you're a, you are a film historian at heart, and what better way to continue the journey of learning, which you can, I think, if I can speak for you, because I also love having authors on my podcast the most, probably, uh, except for when I have actors in <laughs> Well, you're both now, actually. What am I saying? Um, but you learn more. I mean, you know, you're learning in more nuances to stuff that you may have had some idea about, but you're going to only learn more and more and become more and more of an uh, academic on the subject that you love. Yeah. And plus, I'm a, I'm a big, I can't do ebooks. I need to, I have, I'm a book lover. I have books yeah. everywhere. Yeah. In fact, somebody came over, I had a, um, when I was, contemplating selling my house the most ne the co consistent negative comment i would get was the realtors going <laughs> a, lot of books. a lot of books like as if it's big you know as if it's a bad thing right oh and when God. i grew up like the household i grew up in the hippies and my grandfather you know having books was yeah, everybody had books. Like books used to be a status symbol. Sure. Like, had a lot of books. But. Also, there's also empirical evidence that <laughs> kids, like, you know, like if you have kids, they read more when their parents have books, or like a lot of books, and they see their parents reading. Yeah. Um, it does, you know, so it's a good thing all around, you know. It looks a little bare here because I'm actually moving tomorrow. Oh, the, you are? Yeah, so look over here this side. 
Oh, oh my God. Oh, right, Where well, are you moving to? I'm just moving up to the Hudson Valley. I, I, uh, I'm in New York. And, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't, it's looking so. Um, yeah, we're all thinking about moving, right? See, me too. I will listen, but you know, now I want, I was trying, I've been trying to get to Connecticut, but now they say I can't go anymore. I have to be quarantined. Well, when you, I thought that when you get there, they're going to maybe quarantine. You need to quarantine, but you can move. But can I go to, maybe you know more than the officials, but if I'm going to see my family, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. Oh, you don't go there just to see family. You're not, are you not, or are you thinking moving back to Connecticut? Well, I, if I go to Connecticut, do I have to quarantine before I see my family or do I quarantine with my family? Well, I think that's your choice. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I think they're more concerned about giving it to others, but that seems yeah. to me, oh, I, you know, I shouldn't speak on behalf of, of course, yeah. the officials because I, I really don't know. But, you know, I just went on Father's Day. I, I am a father, but my son is in Los Angeles right now with his, his mom, and uh, she's an actor. And um, uh, I'm, I only mention because I was finally invited on Father's Day by my aunt who's in New Jersey, and my cousins, you know, were all, you know, older and adults, but we had a family thing. It was the first time I had been with family yeah. uh, like in that size, you know, and we're all, after a while, we were all just sort of, you know, letting the, letting, uh, I don't know, whatever our, our uh, uh, what we're all chant, taking a risk on some level. Some people had already had it, though. So, oh, wow. and had already tested for the uh, antibodies and all that. So it's a, it's complicated, you know. I, I don't know. But are now, you? Now LA has it really bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going to be come back here too, though, Ileana, because uh, New York is opening up and people, I can see half the people out on the street are not being careful. It's, if anything, it's an opportunity to double down, be even as cautious as ever, and then also enjoy that, that you can go back and interact with people or businesses or restaurants, whatever, but at least practice really conservative behavior. You know, that's, that's the thing. And they're not, uh, not enough. Yeah, we talked about this at the top of the podcast, like going yeah. back to the movie theater. And that's why I said, I have total confidence in the staff. I mean, you can put everything into place, but what's going to happen when the guy right next to me right. is... Like the movie theater, you're saying, right. Yeah, coughing yeah. his popcorn or whatever. What am I going to do? Right. Get into a fight with him? And that's the, you know, the problem that we're discovering all these things, like this pandemic reminds me, first of all, of like Aztec civil civilizations that have disappeared, that you go, oh, this is probably what happened. You know, we can't, you know, because it feels very much now like, you know, when you, you look at nature and you see a group of animals and 90% and of them are acting cool. And then there's always like one dog that's bad or there's one squirrel that's bad or one bad coyote and and now human beings are the same way like we could do everything right and by the rules but there's going to be three people that's, that's going right. to kill us right that's right and the uncertainty of that is is um is the toughest thing i think because i think that people i think that half of the people genuinely believe oh gee this should have brought us together or this should bring us together 
and want that experience. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people that could care less and they're going to jog with, you know, without their shirt on or the mask. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope in a, in a year from now, we're uh, at least have a vaccine or something. And that seems to be the only real solution. Right. Well, we hope. Because yeah. you know that there's going to be 50% of the people who say they don't believe in vaccines. That's true. You know, there's going to be. Anti-vaxxers. <laughs> or how do, What do they call it? Anti-vaxxers. Anti-vaxxers, yeah. They're going to have a field day. Yeah, they're, they're going to say it's a conspiracy and they don't need a vaccine. You know, it's the human nature is, is very, very complicated. Very complicated to get anything. I mean, you know, consensus to get anything done ever in a group is hard enough with five people. I mean, my when I was producing, oh my God, just trying to wrangle 20 people on one on something I found, you know, was, was tough. But don't they want you to just make the, I had on um, Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh-huh. Because yeah, he has that, he has a new book or recently had a, you know, I don't know yeah. if you have a chance to read Barry's mother. He has a new book, but I haven't read it. It's so entertaining. It's really, it's, it's, it's a great read. And, okay. um, uh, and I, I had a wonderful, I had a lot of time with him so we could really get into the weeds a little bit. But he was saying, you know, they just want somebody who holds up the two folders, you know, somebody that comes over with the red folder and the green folder, Barry goes, red folder. You know, that's all, they're thrilled. That's what they're looking for. Somebody who makes those choices, you know, and is good and confident about those choices. So it's not by committee. And in a way, this does translate even to our leadership because we would all feel so much less anxious if the real leadership of this country, without getting overly political, but if they really were in command of the situation, we would all be able to breathe a little easier and maybe even comply more readily because you know some you know we're so happy dad is telling us what to do and we'll say we'll wear our masks like good little children but because there's no dad or no functional dad you know nobody choosing the right folder and all that you know you had Cuomo he's the only one true we do have Cuomo and he's been great under uh you know this uh, particular situation but but you know, even, but we, I think even need, uh, the country oh. needs it, you know, so we're not going to get it. Totally. I, I mean, yes, I agree. That's missing. You know, it's funny when you're saying with Barry Seinfeld, um, did he mention how, you know, he worked on Goodfellas for a couple days? Did no, you know that? Was his, was he a producer on that or something? No, no, he came in as a director of photography. Oh, right. Of course. Right. Because he was a cinematographer. First yeah, he worked on it for a couple of days. I, I remember. He may have. I, I would have to go back. Uh, it doesn't Michael, come up in my instant recall, but um, yeah, because Michael Bauhaus was the DP on that, and I don't know if he had an overlapping job or something. Something happened, but anyway, Barry Sonnenfeld came in and he was there for a week, I and see. I remember Marty really loved it because he was very funny. Yeah, you know? he is one of. He didn't guys. do any of the scenes I was in, but I I was there. I re- remember him coming in and he was very very funny and marty loved that that he was you know they they were very simpatico with their humor yeah it was clear you loved being on the set from an early age and like those early opportunities um yeah. do you, even after years of being in films 
I guess when you're with somebody who really knows what they're doing, to see some really amazing director or actors or both, like, do, would you be around the set a lot more, even if you weren't on, on call? Or? Well, normally I would be, you know, and it's funny because I was actually thinking over the past couple of days, you know, just because this has seemed so long and are we ever going to even go back to making movies and what's it going to be like? And will it even be fun to be on a set? It, you know, it, it, will it feel exciting to go back? Like in the first couple of months, I felt like, man, when this is over, it's going to be really exciting to go back. Now as it's dragged on, it feels like uh, it's going to be really different, maybe not fun. And I'm not looking forward to it, but normally in the before times, I would be, I was always on set. Uh, if I could, I, I go every day. And, really? and again, to the point that people would ask me, why do you want to go on set? And I'm like, well, we're yeah. in fucking Albuquerque. I've got nothing to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. And by the way, like, that's Gus Van Sant, or that's, you know, I mean, you worked with some of the greatest directors. Um, and uh, I'm sure cast and crew, I mean, why wouldn't you want to want, uh, be privy to that? Yeah, so in some cases, I would become like fast friends with the, you know, with the director. It, 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 and I was there all the time, you know, like John Milius and I became good friends. So we, when I wasn't working, I was there every day, just hanging out next to him, hearing stories. Um, and that's usually my kind of favorite thing. You know, when I did Stir of Echoes with David, I, David Kemp and I got along really well, so I hung out with him mm -hmm. and I for Then other movies, you know, again, not, not so much. They just want you to be an actor. So it was disconcerting for me because all of my, because I started out working behind the scenes, you know, I was worked in film publicity and- Oh, when you were I, working for Peggy Siegel? Yes, and I was, that's when I was toying about being a writer, director, and the acting was all in the mix, but I was very okay. comfortable. I'm in that. I'm, go ahead, continue. I'm okay. going to get back to that. But I was very, because I, I think, this is just my own theory, because I started out working behind the scenes, so like if we were doing Moonstruck, Everyone else in the office wanted to be with the movie stars. I had no interest in being with the movie stars. I always wanted to be with the director because, you know, I think, well, I'm an actress. That's how I'm going to get a job is by hanging out with Norman Jewison, you know, who'll be so impressed with me. He'll put me in a movie. And, uh, but what I realized was being with the director, that's where all the action was. Oh my God. That's where all the great, yelling and screaming and the good stories and problems with the studio. So every movie we ever worked on, I had absolutely no desire to ever be with the actor. I always wanted to be with the director. I would always be there. And uh, I, I can't say the director, but it was one of the very famous director from the seventies. And we were doing a movie of his and, you know, he was being interviewed by, you know, like the times or something. And they left, and oh my God, was he angry? Oh, they, they know, <laughs> like throwing things around, and I was like, yeah, that's why I always I want to be with a director. That's where you know. So then, when I moved on to acting in movies, I um, 
I always felt like I was still working in a weird way behind the scenes. You know, it was very strange. Even even in the first couple of movies I did, uh, working with Marty were were behind the scenes. You know, I worked on Last Temptation of Christ after the movie was already done. So I was watching rough right. cut. You did ADR. Um. ADR for the movie. And so once again, I was hearing all oh, the drama with the movie and they had, you know, the religious zealots were against it. And I'm hearing on, you know, and so it was, so oftentimes when I'm in the movie, I'm acting in the movie, but I would be called upon by the director to, you know, help out in this or that sense, a difficult actor or, uh, and, and I, it was just a routine, you know what I mean? So therefore when I was, then I would suddenly be in a movie and they'd go, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you <laughs> just stand back there and say your lines? I was, you know, I, I'd go, oh, uh, uh, okay. You know, I never wanted to just be the actor. I felt like I, I, I had a finger in a lot of, you know, things yeah hey, maybe you should do this you ever try to do this so those have been my best experiences well, been. You, definitely, you definitely get that in the book your book i blame dennis hopper but uh there's and I, that's and it and it, and it off the way you described that um really makes sense that uh easy to assemble was such a um must have been so uh, gratifying on so many levels because here was a project where you could do you know, it was yours. You, you, it was your baby, and you could do kind of oversee everything, you know, and have a hand in everything. So, you know, it may not have been uh, all. The, I mean, I'm not in any way uh, even trying to minimize it because it was it was a new concept. You that you were one of the early pioneers on. So there's that. You can't take that away from you. Uh, it, so it wasn't some blockbuster feature that you were directing, but you created something new that nobody had really had done before. So, you know, yeah, sounded like it, was, and I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. I was, you know, when I did that, I had, I had, you know, sold a pilot and was working on it and it was such a challenging experience. And as I wrote about it in the book, I... That's the one in the supermarket, right? Yes. And I thought, you know, and I, I said, no, it's terrible. I guess I'm not really a director. Because people, every time I acted in a movie, people would always say to me, you know, you should really be directing. And so I was always torn because I think, well, okay, I really, should I be directing? I, I like acting. I mean, given the choice, I would just want to act because acting is so easy and everybody's always asking you every five minutes if you want a coffee or a, or a latte or taking care of you. It's the easiest thing in the world to act, you know, directing is really hard. But every time I would be acting, I would always be told, you should be directing. And then when I direct, when I wrote and produced and directed a pilot, it was so challenging. I was fought at every, every casting decision, everything, every joke I, was just so challenging that that's, I had this opportunity after that, um, which was, you know, my then friend, Brian De Palma, looked at the pilot and he liked it very much. And he said, have you thought about putting it on the internet? And there was, I didn't even know what he was talking about at that yeah. point. It was so new. 
I know. I remember people talking about it at the time, and I, uh, I was like, what, what, where do you find it? How do you find it? I remember looking for it because it seemed so curious. It's like it takes place at Ikea, and it's kind of like a promotional and creative product. It was just like I, I had a hard time finding it, I remember, first, because, you know, it was still so new. Everything was so new about that. Yes, and then but those early days were fun because IKEA would just give they would just give me money, and, <laughs> All right. and I would write the script. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I told the story in the book. I was like, we I we had our first meeting. Everybody was there, and I had my pen out, and they said, "Well, we don't have you know." I had a line in there about you know, do you want to get an ice cream? And they said, "We don't. It's actually not ice cream. It's frozen yogurt." So I said, oh, okay, sorry for, you know, and then I said, um, okay, what else? And they go, no, that's it. Good stuff. <laughs> it's a great story. And, you know, yeah. and then I wrote about that too. Like one year we, you know, we, we wrote in this funny thing because I had done so many movies with Tom Arnold. There was like one year where we just kept getting cast in movies. And I thought it would be a funny bit that he comes up with an idea to, you know, charge up my career by having a, doing a, filming a sex video in Ikea. And again, we had this, you know, whole thing and I, I thought it would be a problem for them. They thought it was hysterical. They had absolutely no problem. Their only issue was that when we filmed the scene, which we filmed in a live working store because they would never close down for us filming, that we just had to make sure that we were that we had that the aisles were clear so that people could continue to shop. Yeah, right. It's the Burbank store. Um, the, yeah, Burbank I, store. I live here on the East Coast, so I, I wasn't so lucky to, to actually wander into that. But store. we filmed many, many scenes with many people. I know. Literally. And what was so funny is that when people would come to do the show, like Jeff Goldblum, they'd say, Oh, you re wow! You really shoot in a live store? I said that's what I told you. They don't that IKEA does. We don't stop for anything. Yeah. So if there is an announcement yeah. during the scene, there's an announcement. You know, we and it was really like guerrilla filmmaking at the beginning. And so for by doing doing the show, I did the show for like five years. Uh, yeah. uh, it was. I learned everything about, you know, writing, producing, doing scripts, work, you know, directing. And I had complete free reign to do yeah. whatever I wanted to do. And it was so much fun because nobody interfered with me. I got to make exactly kind of what I wanted to make. Um, and then, what I, what, yeah. but we couldn't sell the show to, uh, we never were able to sell the show on network television or anything. So that was kind of a disappointment. Um, well, you were, tell, uh, yeah, well, they weren't ready for you guys. But now you might have an easier time. There's, because there's so much, so many, so many episodics and everybody's trying to stand out in some way, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I thought it was, uh, I mean, again, the idea of, I thought it was really, and again, once again, it's always a very prescient idea. The, I thought it was very funny, the idea of celebrities that were out of work. Right. Would have to, oh you know. yeah, no, it's it's a very funny concept, and it's still I was catching up with a lot of them, and I, it's really funny still. And, and you, you know, everybody was very game. It wouldn't have worked. I mean, if, if like you did, you, you had a good uh, sense of who 
<laughs> what would, would get get it and who would like arrive and be kind of amused by the fact that they're shooting scenes and you've got customers asking them like where can I find uh, handles for my uh, kitchen cabinets you know uh, it's, which would always happen and that's why yeah. I said there was so I used to love like every year just shooting the show and I and I truly love Ikea I mean I you know and I love working for the people at Ikea I love the Burbank store. So it was, a, it was weirdly a perfect uh, fit for me. And then out of the show, I ended up going to Sweden and actually shooting a show in Sweden. So then I had my total fantasy was complete, is that I, I got to go to Sweden and do a television show in Sweden. You're big in Sweden. I'm, I'm very big in Pluto Nash. Yeah. It's big in Sweden. Yeah, right. Oh, and by the way, I, of course, just want to know when you're, we've been talking for about a half hour, so I just want to know, you know, respect your time also, and you tell me when you got to jump off. I, I can, I can, I certainly have my share of questions, so, well, um, you know, just let me know. Sure. But, uh, well, before you mentioned your more interested behind the scenes, I was surprised because I, when I read your book, and I always love when I'm reading like a memoir from somebody or autobiography, I, like, I'm always anxious to get to the beginning of their career, you know, and getting into those anecdotes. That's like, and when you're reading about the childhood, it's like you're going through the mode. Your book really is an exception in that way. Like, I was enthralled with the, the way you write these stories. They're as amusing and interesting as, as your Hollywood years. Your passion for being an actor as a child a young, and a young Look, you know, uh, a young adult, et cetera, is so palpable in your writing. So it almost surprised me when you said you, you almost had, a, you know, there was like a, a struggle between being in front of the camera and behind because, you know, you're, and, and then you describe how naturally it comes to, well, that may explain some of it. Well, again, the, I mean, I knew, I, I, I just knew I sort of wanted to be in show business, you know, and I think that, uh, growing up on this, you know, kind of a commune atmosphere where there, you know, there was going to be no college, no, you know, show business seemed like a good bet because I got to know my grandfather. And I, I think that I probably wanted to impress my grandfather. Right. Um, I think that that maybe is part of it. Of that, I was flirting with being a being an actor, flirting with being a writer. To please you know, him. all, yeah, all those. So I would have something to talk about, you know. Yeah. Uh, when I, because if he was on a movie, I'd have to. I'd want to talk about something. So I'd say, well, I, you know, I found this dinner theater <laughs> because yeah. he had said to me, "If you want to be an actor, you know, you've got to be out in the theater. You, you know, go out in the theater. I'm thinking, how am I going to find the theater? There's no theater here. So then when this dinner theater came to town, I thought, this is it. I'm going to be in, you know. So I went there. and Amazing story. The and the guy, yeah, the Camelot Dinner Theater, which is so funny, where I saw a man killed by show business. One of my, I, I, I was telling that story recently. The man who we, they were playing uh, the the musical Man of La Mancha, mm -hmm. and a man keeled over in his in his prime rib and died of a heart attack <laughs> while they were on stage. I said literally, and that was it. That was the first time I saw someone, a woman scream. It was like head in the plate, and 
what I always remember about that comically, of course, it's a tragedy, was how they kept singing. And then the singing sort of slowly, the slow <laughs> realization of like, ah, bah, bah, bah. Ah. and then silence while they're working, you know, while paramedics come in. Yeah. And the actors frozen on stage to, and then sort of backing off. It's, it's, it's so in my mind that, mo that moment. And then it was it, he was gone. You know, he was gone. They took him, they took him out. He was literally killed by show business. <laughs> that place was, again, I, once again, in trying to be, I wanted to be an actor there, but the guy, the first thing the guy said is, oh, we, we hire all the actors out of New York. <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to come in and be like Betty Davis and wow him and get a part, um, even though I was 16. But he, you know, they, they cast all the parts. So then I, was, then I was looking for something to do. And of course, as soon as people came in, I'd say, oh, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to befriend the star of the show. You know, so that was always my my thing or trying to talk to the actors and kind of make it seem like I was one of them, which I wasn't at all. But the, that was that, that I don't think I ever had really the courage. Like I wanted to be an actor, but I think I was always sort of mortified to, to admit that I really wanted to be an actor. I was sort of flirting around, you know, around with it, with that. But I took a great interest in show business. I just wanted to be a part of it. And I read so many books too. So I knew these people, you know, when Rudy Valley came in, I, I mean, I knew, and nobody knew who Rudy Valley was. I knew, I knew who he was. I knew his songs. I had like his six records. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. We had his, you know, we had his records, you know, growing up, I, I, you know, so I listened to his records. I, I knew that, you know, that he was in, uh, in movies and, uh, I just thought it was like the coolest thing. So as I said, I, you know, I, I, one of my smartest things was I saw him struggling the first night to do this costume change. And I said, ah, oh, perfect. So I went backstage I was like, I'll help you with that. So I just realized, like, that's how you get in show business. You just, you just. You find just, the openings, find the opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, people will appreciate it. And it doesn't have to be the glamour stuff. In fact, the, I, I understand. It's like you're realizing that they find somebody who's willing to do everything for soup to nuts. Exactly. So and, that's why I said I realized the next night, to be backstage for his costume change so I could help him with that and say, you were fantastic tonight. You were, you were, so, you were amazing, you know? Like, you know is, that's a really sweet story though, your exchange. Yeah. And mean, that was, uh, that's in the book that's uh, again, uh, and, and he brought me back and I went back to his dressing room on the last night and I, I said, oh, my grandfather warned me about this. This is where, you know, I, I was trying to keep one foot towards the door, right. if he pounced. But he put on this, you know, tape recording, and he said, I brought, I brought that, I wanted to, you know, have you listen, I knew you would appreciate this. And he said, do you know what that is? And I said, is it the ocean? And, and he said, no, it's my applause. You know, did one of those. He recorded the audience, it's very touching. He recorded the audience. 
early 80s or something, or I forget. Yeah, I think he must have been about 83 by that point. And like I said, it was complete limelight, you know, with the thick pancake makeup, sweating, wearing the raccoon coat. Troubadour. You know, in the middle of, no, of nowhere. And again, it's, it's just been a lasting um, thing with me of just like, that's show business. And I've seen that replicated, you know, so many times, you know, I've seen a actors that were, you know, movie stars in the 70s, and then now they're doing a little cameo in a film or something. Right. Or, or yeah, they, they do the dinner theater thing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's all, you know, there's a, I mean, before the whole internet and everything blew up, I, I always felt like there was tremendous respect for performers, and especially privately, too. And probably amongst musicians, I don't know as many musicians, but, you know, I just always felt that sense. And I guess it's being with my grandfather, too, and, and seeing some of the complaints he had. Uh, Ghost Story, the movie he was on, was extremely problematic in terms of... It shows. It shows. Yeah. Not through the... I mean, that Fred Astaire, John... Was it John? John yeah. Douglas was, Fairbanks, Jr. I mean... The cast is our finest actors ever, and yet the movie is its kind of a mess. Yeah, completely. And they were, it, it was, the, the director had directed that movie. I don't know why he directed it. John Irwin is his name? Yeah. Dogs of War. And, um... Well, look at the cast. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> I, they, they were cast yet. Yeah. But, and it was like the project of... And Patricia Neal was in it. He wasn't the most sensitive of directors, let's put it that way. He had these old men, like, working out in the snow and, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, completely crazy. They all caught pneumonia. Faster. Uh, Walk faster, Esther. Yeah. He, he yelled at Patricia Neal because she didn't know her lines. It was like, do you recall that she had a very public, famous stroke? You know, like, does that, does that you were... Does that ring a bell at all, you know? <laughs> so I saw things like that, and probably, again, with my grandfather and other people, and they would always, you know, showbiz talk. Mm -hmm. So I probably had, you know, I always have tremendous respect for actors and how hard it is, you know? Yeah. Um, I, it's, you know that I knew that I needed to talk to you also when you, the pinnacle of being in show business is, having a lunch or dinner with Roddy McDowell and, and becoming friends with Roddy McDowell was like the, you know, for like kind of reaching for you, maybe uh, that seemed to be maybe the pinnacle. It's like um, you knew you're inside also. And then, and he's a lovely guy, according to you. So, but. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And I met him, you know, again, it was very haphazard the way I met him. I was, of course, aware of Roddy McDowell. I knew that his name comes up in every actress right. autobiography. Yeah. Every actress was like, there's there's some horrible breakup, and then the actress is, I went to see my friend Roddy. Yeah. We had a good cry, you know? Yeah, right. he, so I knew about him. No, you know. he's the one saying, there, there, you know, <laughs> patting her head, and, because she's, he was so, yeah, and he really liked being in the center of, of all that. You know, he was yeah. Every I don't know, he was uh, and and the and the book, you know, is is a uh, oh, graphic book. 
and his and his movie book. And so when he contacted me to get my to take my picture, and this was um, around the time I had done Today for, I had just auditioned for Today for, and uh, I was going to be in L.A. and we arranged I you know because I was there at a limited time, and he had come to New York to photograph Marty. So he photographed Marty at his house. He took some pictures of me, but he said he wanted to do a more some formal shots of me. So we set up a meeting at a restaurant here called Hugo's. And I said, well, I'll, I've got this audition, so I'll meet you after the audition. And it was funny because I didn't think the audition had gone well because there were so many famous, I mean, here we go with the actress thing again. I kept saying, there were so many famous actresses that had gone in for the part. And I said, oh, there's no way. How could I get the role? All these famous people. And uh, I met Roddy and I, you know, I burst into tears. He said, did, how did it go? And I, oh, it's awful. And I said, now I'm crying on Roddy McDowell's shoulder, just like all the other people. Right. But he took these pictures of me and he took pictures the whole time. Like it was a movie, you know. He said, now you aren't going to like these pictures now, but years from now, you're going to be, isn't that sweet? He said, years from now, you'll be glad I took them. He knew. He was, uh, he's so smart. And so, you know, we became very, very good friends. Um, he's an amazing person. And I have to say again, out of all the people I've known in my life after, you know, I was in this very long relationship with Marty and he knew me through the Marty years. And he was the only person who called me up and said, I just want you to know that this changes, this does, will change absolutely nothing in our friendship. And he's the only person who did that because there are people, and it's too bad, it's just the way people are in any breakup, not just a Hollywood breakup, but they kind of go, they yeah, I, yeah. yeah, and it's, and it, and it's, it hurts. It's painful because you didn't really do anything wrong, but they just feel politically it's better to choose, you know, one, one side. And I thought that it was so telling of, the kind of person he was. And then we became really close after that because I ended up moving to California. And he introduced me to Elizabeth Taylor and Tuesday Weld. And I want to take you over to the Meet the Wilders. You'll love them. You know, so then it was the like. Wilders, as in Gene and, and, and uh, Dilda? In, uh, no, as in uh, Billy, Billy Wilder. That's even. Yeah. More impressive, yeah. <laughs> well, you also met Gene Wilder too, of course. So. But yeah, Wilder. Oh, right, yeah. But he had an incredible house in the valley. Yes, right. He had these amazing dinner parties, um, and he didn't. He wasn't. And and the other thing about him is, you know, he never. I mean, I remember I would be talking to him, and he would have an audition for something, and I mean, I couldn't believe it that he would even have to audition. Or, but that's how he was, you know, that's how he was. And he kept me very humble to have a friend like that. You know, and again, it's always an audition and it, it never ends. And no matter how famous, I mean, look at somebody like him, as famous as he was, that he would still have to audition for things and not get parts and get parts. And Right. No, it's insane. 
and you know he was such a great actor and uh, he is a movie star you know uh, yeah I but I loved I got to meet Elizabeth Taylor through him so there's pretty much nothing beats that is she, uh, was she everything of it uh, you expected or oh yes every everything and more she was wearing a caftan first of all when I met her that's funny. so I was already in heaven and the house was great. It was like a combination of a Matisse painting next to something truly hideous and tasteless. Right. A lot of like things, too much lavender, just a mishmash of tastes, white carpeting, you know, every, yes, everything yeah, right. you would want it to be. And uh, she was incredible and gracious and funny and, uh, unbelievable, and and I remember meeting Tuesday well too. She was a she was a firecracker. She was oh yeah, it was pretty. She was pretty crazy. I remember meeting, but I met a lot of people through uh, through Roddy, definitely. Well, I don't want. I mean, one of the great moments uh, also in the book, in terms of meeting special people, was of course your encounter with Marlon Brando. Yes, um, and that is one of the great stories in here. Oh, thank you. Um, I, mean, well, you that, I do want people to read it. And yes, I want them to read it too. Anyway, he did, it was a very interesting, he was not a person, you know, what's interesting about being in the movies and being in show business is that there's some people you, all your life, you want to meet. Right. And there's other people that you just don't, you think, well, how, why would I ever cross paths with that person, you know? And I, I mean, I love Marlon Brando, and I had a poster of him on my wall. And when you were young, when I was yeah, when I was young, and uh, so when uh, you know this prospect came up that I was going to meet Marlon Brando, I actually didn't want to meet him. I said, I don't have anything to say to Marlon Brando; he's not going to be interested in me. And of course, it was one of these crazy, fascinating things where. The whole conversation, you know, because, you know, Marty had said to me, don't, don't talk about acting and don't, you know, have all, and I, because I did everything I wasn't supposed to do, um, he just picked up on something and we hit it off and he ended up, you know, staying till 12 o'clock at night. I, don't, I almost didn't think we were ever going to get rid of him, but it was an amazing... There was one more course coming, one more meal coming, but... <laughs> it kept... Well, he didn't want to, uh, Lord. and you know, that hotel, that's a set. I go to that hotel and it looks totally different. And I think, ah, it's the hotel, the Beverly Wilshire, where yeah. we met Colin Brando. And, uh, because he, he didn't want to have lunch in, in the restaurant, in the restaurant, because he was embarrassed about the way he looked. So we, but he was not embarrassed about wearing a blue velour jumpsuit. <laughs> <laughs> it was flattering. But, uh, and, uh, but anyway, it, was, anyway, it wouldn't matter anyway because he's Marlon Brando for God's sake, right? Yes, I don't know if you've ever changed cinema, changed changed the way people act. I mean, he, yes, that's what I told. That's what I I had to tell him something welled up in me. And I got quite emotional, you know. I said, this is like the women with the Beatles. You know, I just burst out crying and just told him. And then he started crying. And then he stayed. And then he, yes, as I detail in the book, for some reason, 
I started to cry, and then he started to cry, and then we were crying, and then Marty said, like, everybody started crying, and it was this, it became like a weird, like an act, like a, a very actor studio moment, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was the lesson of that chapter, and each chapter in the book, what I tried to do, when I was a kid, I used to love short stories, I, as opposed to a novel. There's something beautiful about short stories. And what I wanted to do with the chapters was that it wasn't a progression of my career, is that each story is almost like it's a little life set lesson, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And what Marlon Brando, you know, taught me with this incredible phrase, because after we were all crying, that's what he had said to me, which, you know, he was like a mystic. So he said very interesting things, but he said, my God, she's like a tuning fork. Now I'm crying. And I thought that was such an interesting phrase, a tuning fork. And I realized you know, years later, that what that is, what that tooting fork is, is my genuine love for these people. It's a, aside from, I'm not a fit, I'm not so much even a fan, there is a true radiating love for me to that person and back. And I think that that's what he meant by, she's a tuning fork, you know, meaning there was no artifice. I had no facade because I was too afraid to have a facade because I said, he'll discover it because he's such a good actor. So, you know, it, the lesson in that story was about me and anyone about being yourself, flaws and all, mm. you know, which is one of the hardest things I think in the world to do is just to be yourself, your stripped down self, you know? Oh, especially, and, you know, it's not something that's encouraged in Hollywood. Typically, I don't, I don't, I shouldn't speak probably on it, but it seems to be almost antithetical to the Hollywood presenting. Yeah. Important, right? And making sure you come off well. I mean, it's it's back to auditioning. You're always auditioning when you're in Hollywood on some level. It feels like. Well, and I think that's part of the culture. Some of these people that you meet, you know, Dennis Hopper is another one. You go. This guy's been through the 50s, the 60s. Like, yeah, they've been through it all. Yeah. And it's very hard to either not be intimidated. And I think that's what they hate, is that when they, they feel you being intimidated, and they've, the best thing to do with people like that is to somehow, if you can, is to try to be yourself. And that's like with Marlon Brando, we ended up talking about, you know, collecting rocks. I said, oh my God, are you, I said, you like me? I said, I've got rocks from all over the country, you know? And we, so we ended up talking about things that wasn't like, uh, oh, so, so tell me about on the waterfront or, you know, they, and, and I, I have found with people like that, again, it's just try to approach it from something that is not about their movies that connects with them on a, you know, a human. Yeah. Level. Well, it's also like I, from my, in preparation for talking to you, not only did I read the book, but I also went back and I watched 
you know, a number of your films, some I had seen in a while and uh, some I had never seen. So I was very grateful for the opportunity. But what you start to do, especially after reading the book and then going back and watching the movies again, is you get a sense of, if you're open to it, maybe a tuning fork or something, <laughs> variation of that. But you start to really get a sense of somebody and what they're really interested in if you're kind of looking keenly and a little bit more perceptively, like, you know, I can start to understand a little bit, or at least I have a, I, uh, my own hypo hypothesis of what makes you tick and what you're that really interested in. And from watching you on other talk shows, perhaps, or listening to your podcast, uh, which is called The Film Scene, by the way, The Film Scene with Ileana Douglas on Popcorn, uh, talk, Popcorn Talk, part of the Popcorn Talk Network on YouTube, right, I guess. Is it? Yeah. People should watch that. Uh, so, you know, that's when I, when I try to connect. It's like, and also, I'm interested, I, you and I grew up in the same time, I'm a little older, but we grew up in the same time. And so it wasn't so surprisingly, even though we have different backgrounds, although we weren't, didn't grow up that far, I grew up in New York, you grew up in Connecticut, but like, you know, the same movies, the same yeah. people in showbiz that were, I, I was also, when I read about people that really, like Roddy McDowell was always somebody I would have loved to have just met you know because instinctually yeah. there was something about him that was always so fascinating to me and he was just uh, and i had and i see that throughout your book other people also that you really just loved you know and i we marvin what my lee mar my lee mar you know oh, lee marvin. well yeah i didn't quite have that for lee mar that's a <laughs> that's another great story anyway but i i Having said all that, then I, I, you know, I just had Allison Anders on, your friend Allison. Yeah. And going to see Grace of My Heart when I, you know, when it came out. And I don't think, maybe it, was I alone? Because I was like, in just, you know, an emotional mess. But I don't know what it was here. The, the story, the moments of, and by the time you, you know, your character um, breaks out and is independent and doesn't need anybody, you know, she's got herself and she finally has found the strength, inner strength to be yeah. an artist and not necessarily need other people to tell her that, you know, she, it's a, just, I, I, I really think that movie is a real, real, so special. Um, and then when I watched it again recently, I found myself getting all choked up again. Aww. I love that so much, your performance. The moment when you start seeing God, God give me strength at the beginning. Yeah. And I know you're lip syncing, of course, but your body and your arms and your performance was just, it just, from that moment on, I was hooked on oh, that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's one of those things. It's, you know, what can you do? When we, <laughs> when we did the movie, I, it was always my intention. I grew up singing. You know, I didn't have the best voice, but I did, I knew how to sing. And, you know, it was, you know, it's always one of those things in hindsight, I don't know, would it have been a better movie had they just let me sing? I think so. But that's just my own personal opinion. Um, but I lost that battle, you know, um, because it's, to me, it wasn't a movie about a girl who's a great singer. It's a, right. it's, you know, yeah. but, but that, you know, like many people before me, that's the battle that I lost. You know, you look at a lot of people, Audrey Hepburn, you know, wanted to sing in My Fair Lady. 
would it have been better if Audrey Hepburn sang? Probably, you know, if, you know, but, and nowadays I think it's easier. They let actors, they let the actors sing, but none West, of the- West Side Story was, of course, another famous case. Right? Exactly. And sometimes, you know, when they, you hear the person singing and you go, this is pretty good, you know, like, I mean, Marlon Brando sang in uh, Guys and Dolls. Good point. You know, and it was fine. But um, the way we approached the movie and the scene, I said, I'm not going to lip sync. I'm going to sing. And then if you want to afterwards, you know, you do it, then that's how we're going to do it. So I think that that's why those scenes work is that I was genuinely singing and then they fit the voice in, you know, afterwards. So. Mm -hmm. Did, is there recordings of you singing them? I mean, from maybe from when we were on, you know, on set, it'd be yeah. amazing. I, we, Allison and I, I know we've been trying to get, you know, people to do a re-release of the film and cause there's a lot of other scenes that didn't make it in the movie and stuff. Right. But that scene, what I wanted that scene to be about very much was, again, was the audition process. So that by the end of the song, and that was something, that was like an interesting thing. I had it in my head, but I didn't say anything to Allison. Because sometimes, again, when you're an actor saying something, you have to kind of show it to them and let them discover it. But I knew in my head that the scene was going to play in one take. I said, that's how the scene it goes in my mind. And like by the end of this song, she has revealed anger, vulnerability, like this is who I am, scars and all. And he falls in love with her by the end of the song. And that's what I want. And I think that, Maybe it's just my sort of old fashioned way of thinking, but I feel like that in the sixties, stuff like that actually happened. Like she came in, Hey man, you know, <laughs> they were, and that to me was what the scene was very, you know, so we sing like by the end of the song, he says, he invites me to his beach house and then we're, we're off. We're off in this, you know, kind of relationship. And so that's, I, I wanted the, you know, the, I wanted the scene to be about that. I'm very proud of it. You know, I'm such a perfectionist that I go, is it flawed because it's not really me singing? You know, it, it doesn't, you know, you, in that way. I understand. when you watch it, you're engaged in it and you don't think about it. But, um, but that, that, you know, again, anybody, any actor would tell you that that, that's always a tough, Sure. You know, that's always a tough thing. Yeah. Well, it's it's a case where every song, I, I can't think of too many other films where the songs are so uh, such a part, emotional part of the storytelling in that in that movie. Each song, you know, and, uh, you know it just uh, moves the story along, you know, and it, I, I don't know, it has a very deep impact. I and I, I remember as we were shooting it, too, because... We had, we shot the movie, it was very quickly. I mean, I think we had 30 days to shoot it. Wow. And we were doing something else. Like we had that scene and then we had something else after it. Mm -hmm. And so 
as I recall, you know, again, when we went in to shoot it, Allison didn't have a specific plan of like, oh, I'm going to shoot it this way or that way. But I knew Matt before, you know, and today for, I knew it might relate. It was his, he had just shown up. I hadn't seen him in a while. Mm -hmm. I just said, I know what this scene's going to be about. And I'm so happy I got to do it with Matt too, you know, because I had been, again, such a fan of his growing up in movies. His films meant so much to me. And then to get to work with him was incredible. Are there any of these, any of these, um, I don't know, people, actors that have been on your radar a, ro a really long time? This is such a typical fan question, but in your case, I actually really want to know because you've worked with so many of you, or met at least, and had you know, yeah. some sort of a meaningful experience with so many people that, you know, meant so much to you, starting with Dennis Hopper, even though that wasn't all. <laughs> you had your, you know, complicated feelings about him, given what, what happened. Yes. He ruined, he ruined yeah. my life in yeah. a good way. <laughs> yeah. Was, is there anybody who's been out there a long time and you're just... You know, I, me I mentioned in the book, I did get to meet him and I have 45 minutes with him, but I, my, my, I, my absolute idol in terms of movies growing up was Albert Brooks, always. I mean, even in high school, you know, when I, I saw him, there was something about him that I knew even as a kid. Really? Somehow different and sophisticated. Yeah, his, his little short movies, I just thought. On Saturday Live or? Yeah, I just thought, you know, and then when he's moving, and then he did real life, and I, I mean, I, I, must... I remember him and thought he was amazing on the like two or three appearances on The Odd Couple as Rudy Mandel, as he was so funny. He, where he was actually became the fool, and and Felix became kind of the you know, yes, great man in those scenes because he you know, there was some wonderful moments with him on that show, just amazing. Well, his movie meant so much to me. And then yeah. I wrote about this crazy experience in the book where I'm sitting there and my friend, you know, we're shooting at a supermarket. And my friend goes, oh, there's somebody here who wants to meet you. Oh, right. I'm in the middle of something. And he goes, all right, you're going to be disappointed if I don't. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out it was, you know, it was Albert Brooks. So we had, we had 45 minutes uninterrupted. And he walked through the scene so you actually could say that he was on your in your project, so. Yes. Right? Yeah, and we got to, you know, and he, he was going to get lunch at right. this at the supermarket, so he sat with us. He had ribs, and I don't eat meat, so I couldn't have that, but he drank Arizona iced tea, and from that point on, where my friend and I would always call it Albert Brooks tea. <laughs> I, I, I'm going for the Albert Brooks, the Arizona. But he's somebody, and then subsequently, we've had dinner a couple times for mutual friends. I'd kill to work with him. I'd absolutely kill. I would pref I'd actually like to, there's a one project that I wrote that I would love, you know, in my fantasy world, I'd, I'd love to direct him. Uh, I would al almost more than acting with him, I think I would like to direct him. Uh, I've always been, when I was a kid, I was always obsessed with Anthony Hopkins. I, messed, I, I met him. Um, Anthony Hopkins in The Bounty is one of my favorite. Have you seen The Bounty? I, yeah, it's another, I mean, again, I, I know exactly where, which it was the same movie theater where I, I walked in. I was going to tell you, 
I snuck into Ghost Story. I was probably seeing The Bounty or something. And I just, I loved it. I watched it again recently. I mean, within the last year or two, again, because it's been so many years since I'd seen it. And I remember loving it so much at the time and um, wanting to see it again to see if it still held up. Yeah, mostly. (laughs) Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I, I loved it when I, when it came out. I just remember Anthony, I just, I always thought he was great. I, when I was very little, I had a crush on him. I don't know why, like, I did like the, he, he, he appeared on television. He was in a, a mini series called uh, QV7. I remember that, sure. That was, I'm well, really going, really going back. Yeah, that's and a color too. They used to do that a lot in the 70s. Yes. And then the and then the movie Magic, I, I I was obsessed with that, and so and then he kind of disappeared. He was in all these movies, yeah, right. Uh, National Velvet, you know, and then he completely disappeared off the scene. And then he kind of came back later. And then that's when he started talking about being sober. So there was like early Anthony Hopkins, where I guess he was drunk in every movie. Which I didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and now I watch him a lot. He's on Instagram. Oh yes. He, yes, he seems and I and I've met him. I once did something completely crazy. I've always wanted to do this and I highly recommend it because it works. But years ago it was, I was at a Golden Globes and and I saw Anthony Hopkins walk in and I knew he was going to win for Silence of the Lambs. I just just had a feeling, you know, you have a feeling it's his year. Anyway, he quietly, there was like, we were at the bar before the show started, and he kind of came in, and he was totally by himself, but he was milling around the bar, and just because I thought it would be incredibly funny, and I always wanted to do something like this, I, because it totally works, if you do the, you know, you do like, yes, oh yeah, yeah, sure, loud enough, it gets, cuts right through the, the, uh, the noise. <laughs> Everybody stopped talking, and I did it. I had a glass, and I did the, and everybody stopped, and every, he turned around, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, let's toast to Anthony Hopkins, and everybody burst out, of, you know, I remember Marty going, looking, it was like one of the 18 times he'd be like, <laughs> yeah, right. Who's this person? Why are you doing this? This is going to be mortifying. But I'll never forget that Anthony Hopkins, like, put his hand to his heart, and he was just like... Yeah. Mental action. It was so sweet. So, if you ever want... Sometimes, you know, you have an instinct to do something. Like, just... You you should really do it. Because it... Man, was it funny. And it totally worked. I said, I always wanted to see if that worked. If you actually <laughs> did this, if you get an entire crowd of people. And uh, so I can't officially say I met him, but I toasted him. Well, it sounds like you met him. Yeah. But is it always another one you would like to work with? I'd love to work with him. Um, I'm trying to think of other people. There's obviously wow. so many, uh, you know, they're, they're you know, then there's people that I've come close to working with and it hasn't worked out. And um, I, I would have loved to have worked with Mike Nichols. I oh. didn't, but I ended up meeting him and he, that was, he helped me tremendously just in. Club sandwich. Yeah. 
It, it, no, club sandwiches, Grandpa. Oh, that club was your grandfather. I'm, I'm conflating. Um, yeah, the show business. Yeah, always just go to you, wherever you're going to be in show business. There's one thing I always want you to remember. Wherever you are, no matter what country it is, or order the club sandwich because it'll always be the same, no matter what country you're in. And I remember having, you know, being having being so sick in Spain. I was in Madrid and I got food poisoning, and I was laid up in this hotel. And I remember when I was finally able to eat, I saw on the menu <laughs> club sandwich. I said, "Bingo! That's what I'm gonna have." And he's right. It's they they make it the same all over the world, and it's always on the menu. Is that meat in it? Bacon or something? It has bacon. So it now, have... I, now now I can't eat it. Oh, so how long have you been a vegetarian? Uh, for twenty years. Okay. And then I re I started eating uh, chicken and turkey lately. So right. I, I'm not I can't, but I haven't had any red meat or pork in twenty years. But sometimes you can get fake bacon, like right. when I was. When I was on Goliath, I specifically asked them, we had the scene, and I said, I think it'll be really funny if my character is only eating bacon, <laughs> nothing else. Do you have turkey, you know? There you go. And they ended up yeah. making a big thing about it. They thought it was really funny. So they got me turkey bacon. Well, I'm sure that, you know, the podcast is, is um, it's sort of meeting some of your needs or, you know, urges because, you know, you get to talk to uh, all these different Ex experts on Hollywood, etc. Is it enough for the moment? Well, it's, I mean, you know, like everybody else, it's, yeah. you know, we just went into this nosedive of, well, it'll probably be a couple months and then it's going to be longer and it's going to be longer. And I, you know, the writing on the wall for show business for the next, you know, year seems not good <laughs> you know so i've just been writing um that's how i've been occupying my time What's is that i'll leave i can't really talk about the book it's a movie book oh right okay. uh, it's but it's a it's a i think it'll you know i'm i'm i've been well into it and my goal is to kind of be done with it by uh by january um so i'm i'm devoting myself to that because i figure, you know, we'll never have this quiet time, hopefully again. But early on, as I said, I was pitching some things and, you know, they, at the end of it, they said, oh my God, we love it. But because of COVID, we don't really know. And they ended up, you know, not, not taking it. And so I think that by the end of this, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody really knows what is an audience going to want to see. You know, I don't know. I don't think that would, I mean, you know, my personal feeling is I don't think it's going to change. I just going from my own feelings uh, about what I, I mean, I, I just, you know, well, I've been watching, it's funny you brought up Anthony Hopkins because I, 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 I just looking for a balance. I, 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 any pot, I just talked to uh, uh, Robert Schwartzman, you know, Jason's brother, Talia's son. Yeah. Yes. And he has a, a recent film called The uh, Unicorn, which I caught up with because I had him on the podcast. And he, they're releasing a movie that their dad, that their, Robert's dad uh, produced called Rad <laughs> from the 80s. They're distributing a, his, his company. And uh, so, you know, my tastes are all over. And then I'm watching, for some reason, I just felt 
let me check out this series Hannibal because I never watched it when it was on. Right. And it made me interested in going back and watching the Anthony Hopkins movies. I mean, obviously, silence is above and beyond. But yeah. it's still interesting because he's so good an actor to watch the other film. And I don't know. I'm not into the whole, I'm not into serial killer stories typically, but I don't know. That character seems, they have, and Mads Mickelson is on the series and he's so good, you know. Um, I would, you know, in talking about people that I, I would love to, um, love to interview Warren Beatty. I've talked to him a couple times, but he's a person who fascinates me. The people that fascinate me the most are the people that started out in the studio system. Sure. And Dennis, Dennis Hopper was that way too. And right. then transferred to making movies. Right. Themselves. And what's interesting for me about Warren Beatty is that, you know, people always, like they concentrate on three things when they interview him. And I, I, I feel like he'd be a person I'd love to interview. Right. Robert they're ignoring, again, they're ignoring the, the thing that they're, that, that Warren Beatty wants to talk about, given the yeah. opportunity. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's true. And um, you said Robert Redford? Robert Redford, who I've met, you know, a number of times through Sundance. He worked with my grandfather and I had an audition for a film that he did and I didn't get the part. And then they kind of gave me this consolation prize part uh, uh, in the movie Quiz Show. Mm -hmm. and oh, they yeah. They cut most of my part, but I played uh, Ray Fine's girlfriend. <laughs> I got, to, but I got to hang out with Robert Redford, and that was really—he's really fascinating and interesting. And we—I got to talk to him a little bit again about early studio movies and transferring over, and then making his own films. He again is a person that's like I'm just gobsmacked at what he has done in his career and it's sort of like blasé you well you know? know these two guys were faces right and yet they were obviously just so interested in doing being creative and doing taking risks you know but they they were just handsome like you know hollywood looking guys who ended up really being changing hollywood out of their sheer passion for trying to tell it new stories and interesting stories and not just go through the motions, which they could, yeah. you know, um, you know, um, well, I just, I, you, when you said that your scenes were cut, it reminded me of another movie that I just watched of yours where you're barely, I, I was anticipating you were going to be in a lot more. In, oh, Household Saints. Oh Did yeah. They cut your scenes in there too. Yeah, I was entirely cut from that film. That was... Except for your voice was, in one moment or something, because I was really... I mean, still love the movie. Yeah, but. that was like... I think I wrote about it in my book. It was like, there was this one year in every movie I was in. <laughs> but no, I had... I was doing the movie alive. That... I mean, talk about footage. I wish I had this. They wanted me to audition for Household Saints, and I was like, well, I'm on a mountain, so I don't think <laughs> I can fly in for they were like can't get a plane i was like i'm on a mountain they didn't understand the concept of being on a mountain so then finally the director said well can't you put together some sort of audition well again remember this is we didn't have video there was no videotape no phone or anything like that so i went to the director frank marshall and believe it or not they actually filmed 
they filmed my audition. And uh, so they filmed it for me and Ethan Hawke was in it and Vincent Spano. And in the scene, Vincent Spano played my grandmother. There were, I think there was all women in the scene anyway. But Vincent Spano put like a... A fan, uh, and, you know, and when I sent the audition and I, I got the part and I, we were all very happy. And then when I was on the set, the director, Nancy Savoco, pulls me aside and she goes, you know, you almost didn't get the part because, you know, when, when we got the audition, I thought, is she making fun of the film? A, a guy with his head and a babushka? And I was thinking, you know how much trouble we went to do that? And it had it to that. Did somebody, was somebody leaving the set and they delivered it? Or like, I, yeah. I guess we mailed it. I mean, I don't yeah. you know, it was like, I guess we FedExed it to them. They were in North Carolina. They were in Wilmington. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, you know, that somehow again, I, you know, in the old days when you did movies, things like that happened all the time and people favors were made and mm -hmm. there was a, there was an actual production office, you know, you'd go to the production office, they'd help you out and then maybe they'd FedEx the thing or the, dailies or whatever it was but they I remember that they you know they filmed this thing and they sent it to Nancy and I should have had the foresight to ask for it I you know to have a copy of it because that would have been amazing right. me auditioning with Ethan Hawke and Vincent Spano to get in the movie so I got in the movie and um from the minute I was in the movie, I, I was just a very strange experience. And I liked Nancy very much, but I just, something about everything I did was wrong. And so she would ask me, you know, we did a scene. I was in a scene with Tracy Ullman. And uh, she said, you know, when you walk into the room, you're too big. And I said, my performance is too big? And she goes, no, you, you're too big. <laughs> what? I, said, I said, well, it says the directions, it says she flounces into the room. She's like, yeah, don't flounce. You know? yeah. like, so we had a lot of that of like. Yeah, you, so even to somebody, you get two terrific people, but for whatever reason, a project, it sounds like occasionally, it just doesn't quite jibe. Sounds like maybe that kind of, but they cut you out of it, so a little different. Anyway, I didn't mean to bring up a, an instance, but I just, I remember when I was watching, trying to find films, and I was very grateful for, to see that because it's a movie I remember that I wanted to see, but I never caught up with. And then I'm like, well, where's Ileana? This movie, it's not, I'm disappointed. You're missing me. Well, I had, I I loved, you know, I loved working with Vince D'Onofrio. We had rooms, we had- we He was great in that film. Yeah, we had, um, we were in some location, but anyway, he was next to me and we hung out all the time. Uh, Lily Taylor had a boyfriend at the time. I think she was dating Michael Imperioli from Goodfellas. Uh, yeah, well, that's very okay. possible, yeah. I'm actually, move, where, where I'm moving is that uh, Lily will be there because that's the same, oh. the same town and her husband is a friend of mine. Oh, that's funny. We'll tell her I say hi. So we were, everybody got along on the movie, you know, it was a fun experience. Um, but somehow, 
you know, I don't know. And I had come from this experience on a live where I was on a mountain for four months, you know, and I was missing my then boyfriend and I had to go, not even go home, go straight to the set. And I remember that the experience of getting there it took it took so long to get there and then i get to wilmington it's 90 degrees they <laughs> put me in a dress you know they hand me a baby and now i'm in uh, 1950s new york and i remember i did have a a wonderful thought that i was like wow i'm an actor this is what acting's going to be like yes one minute you're on a mountain and then except that every time i would every scene i was in with tracy Ullman, she'd say I understand you worked, you were, you just came from a glacier, <laughs> a bad act, you know? Yeah. And I said, yes. Oh, no, wait, you're, or she'd say, was it a glacier or was it an iceberg? And I was like, it was, I don't know. <laughs> I don't it was cold. It was cold. It was very cold. That's all I could tell you. I froze my, you know, butt off. Uh, <laughs> by the way, she was terrific in Mrs. America. I was watching that too recently. You know, watching much more stuff than I've ever thought I was going to be watching. I know, my God. It's a great series. But sometimes on a film, it's like, it's yeah. bittersweet. Sometimes you're, yeah, you have a great experience and you get cut from the movie or, well, yeah. uh, you know, but I, I, you know, or, or, you know, at least you have, it, it was a great, I'll tell you an interesting thing about that time when we shot in Wilmington was that there were all these other movies shooting. Uh, so River Phoenix was there. Ethan Hawke came down to visit me. Mm -hmm. They were doing Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Oh, right. So I was hanging out with um, uh, George Lucas. There was only one bar in town. It was probably in the days when New York was not really offering the tax incentives, I'm guessing, because that later changed, of course, which brought a lot of movie making back to New York. But for a long period, there was, right? Yes. In the 80s, I think, uh, maybe later, I guess, 90s. Um, yeah. I don't know the years, but I imagine there was a lot more filming going on in states like North Carolina where perhaps they were offering bigger tax incentives. Yes. That, but it was, there was Super Mario Brothers yeah. was there. So <laughs> there, were, there, were, there was like this one little town in Wilmington, and every actor in the universe was, was happened to be there. So that part of it was... Fun. You know, it was, was kind of fun. And yeah. like I say, I try to, you know, although it was a tough experience of, of just because I'm, you know, I, I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong that, you know, Nancy, did, you know, didn't, it didn't fit in the film somehow. I never had that, ex had that experience, you know, mm -hmm. but it happens. When you brought up uh, Warren Beatty and, and, Robert Redford, I, 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 again, maybe we have this simpatico, you and I, because it's the same period I, I, um, I had the opportunity to uh, go to Lee Grant's apartment uh, last year and do, you know, she did the podcast. Wow. Within her living room. And first of all, when she walked into the room, I, I couldn't believe it was her because some, it was almost like a ballet dancer walked in. She's 93 years old. And she had, there was no indication at all that this was an elderly person. Yeah, she looks amazing. She, yeah, and she, but her, just her physicality was of somebody half her age. She didn't show, you know, you know, you, you think you're slowing down, you're kind of shuffling, you're slumped over a little bit. 
fireworks out the window, by the way. Um, and yet, I just, she just obviously was, took great care of herself because, and good genes, I suppose. Yeah. But, you know, talk about somebody who went through that same transitional period. And then also to refuse to name names and um, pay the price for that, not be able to work through, for ingenue years, you know, only to come back thanks to Warren Beatty and a couple of other people that Norman Jewison and uh, Hal Ashby being two others that, you know, saw somebody really, really special, sexy and uh, incredibly talented. And, you know, her, she had it all of a sudden in her, practically her forties, her, I think her, her brand new, you know, like this career was at a, at a tight because of, in that period. But I asked her, you know, I just read Elia Kazan's book. Uh-huh. And um, because I was very, very, um, you know, critical of him and what he did. But I hadn't read the book. So last year before seeing Lee, I, I read her book, but then I also wanted to read Ilya Kazan's book. But, and in the book, I'm sure you've read it because you've read everything. He doubles down. Yeah. Uh, he comes up with a lot of rationale. And I said, I said, asked Lee, I said, you know, I uh, know that everybody that was, was in a position, in a difficult position back then, you know, uh, in an impossible situation. And that there, on some level, perhaps you could argue that everybody was a victim of the blacklist um, and of that awful period. Uh, and yet some people like yourself, talking to Lee, said, did, chose not to name names and paid a very big price for that. So I feel like calling those who did choose to name names victims dilutes what these other folks did. I mean, so I asked her, I said, I, pro, pro, I positioned it like that. I couched it like that. And I said, well, did you, for, you know, what are your thoughts about it? And so you have to go to the podcast now to listen to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but she, she basically, it was one of those things where ultimately she would not talk to him. And he reached out to her, I guess, a couple of times or more than that. And she wouldn't talk to him. But, uh, you know, more recently, in the more recent years, she did forgive him. It's mm. one of the cases where you forgive, but don't forget. Uh, but Exactly. You know, she, it ended a lot of his friends. You know, Arthur Miller stopped speaking to him. Right. Um, uh, he, he was very close friends with, uh, uh, what was the playwright? Waiting for Lefty? Waiting for... Yeah, Cl uh, Clifford Odets. Clifford Odets, thank you. Yeah. Named, <laughs> he named Clifford Odets. He named a lot of... I mean, the... the People have already named, I know. Well, no, I mean, the, the, the issue became that a lot of the people that he came up with, I think that that's what the betrayal was, is that these are people who he started the group theater with. He was part of the group theater, Clifford Odets and um, sure. the Lee Strasberg's wife, I believe, was another one he named. You know, these are all people, they, they did plays together, they were part of a community, and so without telling them that he named, you know, named all their names. And then I think the timing was within a week, he had a big contract for a big movie. Right. And I, you know, so it, it looks suspect that he just did it for mercenary yeah. reasons. You sure. Know? And, it, and it, 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 he probably it, did. It come off. He did do that, but um, you know, he should have named somebody that was like a little less fragile. Maybe. I don't know. It just seemed like, you know, he did betray his friends. Yeah. 
and uh, and he continued to work, and they never worked again. So right. yes. you know, that was the. And I, I should mention because we brought up we brought up Arthur Miller. He didn't Arthur Miller wasn't named or anything, but Clifford Odets was a communist for a short period, I suppose. Um, certainly a, a sympathizer, but uh, you know uh, it's it's uh, anyway. I, I just wanted to tell you that story because I, I feel like, uh, you know, I think you would appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Well, she, you know, she direct, I interviewed her for, on TCM and she directed my oh, grandfather I, in uh, Tell Me a Riddle. It's amazing. You're uh, one degree from <laughs> just about everybody. I know. I'm yeah. almost, um, you know. Yeah. Almost. Um, I, sorry? You gave me, you've given me a lot of your time and I know you probably are having a long day. I really I'm, it's it's probably dog walking time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> Please apologize to uh, Chauncey. Chauncey. Mr. Yeah. Chauncey Gardner. <laughs> oh, he's looking at me. I know. We're almost done. Yeah. Yes. We're almost done. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Thank you. And uh, stay in touch. I will. Thank you, Elaine. Okay. Bye. Take care. everybody i hope you enjoyed that again if you want to watch the uh video and there might be some extra full content on that you can do so on our the filmmax radio youtube channel and while you're there please subscribe and share it with your friends tell them all about you can pick up listen to all sorts of uh content that's not on the uh, podcast we're also by the way as an extension of that we are on facebook and instagram and twitter please do go to uh our guess apple podcast site what was once called to itunes and give us a star rating and a review that would be very helpful it only takes a few moments of your time and what are you doing honestly anyway you're home or if you listen through uh stitcher you could do it there as well i don't think you can do it on spotify unless i'm mistaken but we're also on spotify and uh google play lots of ways to listen to the show if you prefer or however you prefer guests coming up we have Hampton Fanter. He wrote Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. And he's a fascinating character. He was uh, quite a story in his life and his career. So we'll have him on. We're going to have the actor and friend of the podcast, Joshua Burge, will be on the show. Frank Santo Padre, yes, the co-host of Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. I know what you're saying. I've been talking about it for months. But he will be coming on the cast and uh, and then and and the team behind this a new film called Freeland and the uh, musician and author and old friend of mine, meaning I've known him for many years, Jim Infantino, who he wrote a great science fiction book called The Wakeful Wanderer's Guide to New New England and Beyond. He's a singer songwriter, musical artist, but his on stage persona is called Jim's Big Ego. And he has quite a following from the past. Anyway, he's a terrific guy, and I, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I invite him onto the podcast because it's my podcast, and I can do that. And there's more lined up. Thank you for listening. My name is Adam Sharter. The name of the show is Film Wax Radio. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love.
here. 